0: Church, as we continue to worship, I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the book of Exodus as we continue in our series through Exodus together. Exodus 34, specifically verses 29 through 34 are going to be our guide, but we will be referencing the entire chapter of chapter 34 this morning. As you're turning to Exodus chapter 34, I just remind you of a truth that many of you that have some miles behind you in life may be recognized that the people that you spend the most time with, ultimately rub off on you the most. They shape the way we talk. They shape the way we think. They shape even the way we look. Um, It's subtle at times, but sometimes it's fairly profound. There's a team of researchers in 1987 that compared uh, extensive images of newlyweds And then they they fast forwarded to the pictures of those same newlyweds that were married for 30 years and they compared the growth of the way that each of these couples would look more like each other as the years went by. And the premise of the study was, is that our Looks will converge with our spouse over a period of time. It, the, the phrase is empathetic mimicry. It's uh, the couples. Kind of the premise is, is that couples over years experience the same joys. They experience the same sorrows. You multiply in marriage the joys. You divide the sorrows over marriage. You you go through the speed bumps of life together, and you experience some of these similar emotions. and And couples in the study would say that they would make similar facial expressions leading to similar facial wrinkles and aging patterns. And so over a long period of time, you begin to converge and look more like one another. I told this story in the early service and somebody came up to me and said, I don't know about that, but I have heard that you look like your dog over a period of time. So yeah, I, that might actually be true right there. Uh, the way we treat our dogs, uh, our, our, you know, we love our dog, we love Holly. So maybe we're looking more like Holly in the eldridge household, I don't know. So this, this uh, study proves that we look like those that we live the longest with. Those we spend the most time with us, uh, they rub off on us. This is true, certainly in marriage. We could also say the same principle for the deepest friendships that we have. But there's a spiritual truth behind uh, this truism and that is that there can be a spiritual resemblance that occurs when we, a child of God, gaze upon and fix our eyes upon our Savior. That over time, gazing upon our Savior and gazing upon where he is leading us as we fix our focus upon him, it shapes the way we think, it shapes the way we talk, it even shapes the way that we look. There's a glow that comes from a growing relationship with our God. But don't just take my word for it. Hear the word of the Lord this morning in Exodus 34. when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses in verse 30 and behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to him and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him, him being God. This comes on the hills of Moses going up and down the mountain. We've got four times that he has done this now. So this is uh, Moses coming out of the uh, golden calf fiasco where they have fashioned this idol out of metal and they have uh, worshiped this idol. And so Moses is the mediator. He is standing before a holy God and the people of God. And God is once again showing the grace, faithfulness, mercy, steadfastness to the people of God. And he's doing that through his messenger, Moses. There are two things that are emphasized in the early verses of chapter 34. One is God reestablishes a promise to the people, sort of a reminder to Moses and ultimately to the people of God. Hey, listen, I've got you in the wilderness here, but I have a destination. I'm going to bring you to the promised land. And he lists in the earlier verses of Exodus chapter 34 all the people that are living in the promised land. The Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Canaanites, all the ites that have taken up residence. And, and God is saying, I'm going to go before you and I'm going to deliver these people. I'm going to deliver them out. I'm going to bring you into this land here and you're going to be able to occupy this land. So there's a promise that he reiterates and there is the covenant that he re-establishes very specifically though. So what you discover in Exodus chapter 34, starting in verse 13, and then verse 17 and verses 18 through 26 is that God is going to give a condensed cliff notes of already what He's told the people in Exodus chapter 23. So this is a is is a a brief summary that is specific to what the Israelites need to be reminded of. God is saying, You have fashioned a golden calf and you have worshiped that golden calf. Let me just remind you of what I've already told you. And if you look in Exodus chapter 34, verses 13 through 16, is God saying, Don't forget, worship only one true God. You see in Exodus chapter 34, verse 17, God is saying, don't make idols of cast metal. And then verses 18 through 26, you see God showing the Israelites and reminding them once again of what he's already told them. These are the ways that I've called you to properly worship me. So we have the uh, reestablishment of the covenant, a reminder of God's presence with his people. In essence, he is saying, I have forgiven you. Now be obedient to me. I've shown you my mercy, now get on with being the people of God. And so there's a call to obedience. And it's just a good reminder for us as Christians that obedience to God always, our obedience to God is always the only appropriate response to who God is and what God has done for us. So Moses is just reminded and he reminds the people of God, this is who God is this is what he has done for us. This is what he is calling us to do. Moses comes down from the mountain. Aaron sees him from a distance and says, whoa, that seems different. The people of God are able to see him. Moses has the covenant renewed. He's recarved. God himself has recarved the, the very law himself. It is, Moses has it. And Aaron and the people of God see his face shining from a distance. Now, why is this face shining? Well, it was a tangible reminder to the people of God that God had not left them. I mean, they're able to see Moses, their leader, has been in the presence of God. And guess what? It has made a difference. It is very tangible. They're able to see. They're able to see the glory of God in the face of Moses. More than that, they're able to be reminded that that God who who has met with Moses has not left Moses, which in turn means they've not left us, the Israelites, in the wilderness just to wander alone. So really this is kind of a tangible way that as Moses' face shines before the people of God. It is a reminder to them of, of who God is and what he has promised for them, and he still has a plan. He's not going to leave them in the wilderness. It's a principle here that we discover in this illustrative example of how we shine for God in our own life. And it's just a principle that I would state this way, being in the presence of God, guess what? Church, it has a transforming effect on the people of God. That when we're in the presence of God, it has a transforming effect on us as the people of God. No one can meet God by faith and not be changed by him. I mean, we cannot cannot behold him in worship. We cannot behold him in prayer and in his word and not have the radiance of his glory shine on us and shine through us. The same way the moon shines at night with the light of the sun. The glory of God shines upon us and ultimately shines through us. And shows the radiance of his splendor to those that we live with, to those that we work with, to those that we interact with. You hear, you know, people go on corporate retreats and sometimes people will spend a good bit of time having a coach help them to be able to articulate a purpose statement for their life. And one way to think of, in in the largest terms of who we are as Christians, that we are giving a purpose statement that God has made you, he's made me as followers of him to reflect his glory. God has made us to display the glory of God by reflecting his beautiful light as we spend time with him. And when we do this, church, other people take notice. When we spend time in the presence of God, the radiance of the glory of God that shines through you is noticed by people. One of the most famous examples of this is In the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 6, they have got Stephen who is going to be martyred by the Jewish leaders of the day because they want to silence him. They want to shut him up because he is proclaiming Jesus. They have this trumped up trial. They bring these accusations. And it's there that the very council that will issue the edict to uh, that will ultimately end in, in, in Stephen's martyrdom, they look upon Stephen and they say this in Acts chapter six, verse fifteen. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face. Do you see that? That his face was like the face of an angel. Now, this has nothing to do with Stephen's skincare regimen at the end of every night. This has nothing to do with his, his angelic complexion. This is, this is not what this passage is saying. But illustratively, what this passage is saying is, is here is Stephen before those who, who are persecuting him that will ultimately lead to his death He is so filled with the Spirit of God because he has spent so much time in the presence of God that even his accusers take notice, something is different about this man. We can see it in his face. We can see it in his countenance. And what is true of Stephen is true of your life as a Christian as you stand in his presence What is true of Moses is true of your life when you you behold God in his glory, when you behold him in his grandeur, when you stand before his presence. It was only true of Moses then. Moses is the only person in Acts 34 that is coming down from that mountain. He's the only person that had access to be in the presence of God. But if you are a follower of Christ today, guess what was true for Moses is true for every one of us. John chapter 1 tells us that we behold his glory when we trust him by faith and when we walk with him and have a deep, abiding, consistent relationship with him, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So the radiance of God as we behold him in worship, as we behold him in his word, shines upon us and we glorify God by seeking his face. We glorify God by standing in his presence and by bowing before him in his word. Uh, David would say it this way in Psalm 34 verse 5. Those who look to him, love this passage. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces Shall never be ashamed. Christian, do you know that? Do you know the potential of your countenance before your family and before your friends? Do you know the difference that an intimate, abiding relationship with Jesus can make in your life and make in your uh, workplace and make in your neighborhood and, and make all around us here? The glory comes from gazing upon God. Moses is not preoccupied. Moses is not performing. He, he doesn't even, he is not even self conscious of this happening to him. It takes Aaron to point it out. It's the people of God. Moses isn't coming down from the mountain saying, Look what happened to me. This is not a, a spiritual one man show right here. This isn't Moses uh, saying, Hey, look at me, be like me. No, it's actually Moses has just spent so much time in the presence of God that he can't help but to be changed. I think sometimes we misunderstand what it means to grow in Christ and what it means to grow in the likeness of Christ. It sometimes can become a performance for us as Christians where we spend way too much time looking into the mirror, preoccupied with ourselves or preoccupied with the opinions of others or preoccupied with how we are doing compared to others. We're like the guy that goes to the gym that spends a whole lot of the time when he works out staring and gazing, watching himself as he poses and he flexes. Our spiritual life becomes performative art. Look at me, look at me, look at me. What, what, what Christianity, the way we grow is not by looking sort of inside of ourselves or so looking around us, by looking up into his face, by, by being so captivated with who he is, that we fix our focus upon him. And things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and the light of his grace. Now, how do we do this? Let me give you a super spiritual word that you've never heard before. Let me give you a word in the Hebrew and the Greek that will set you on a path to look more like Jesus. You know what that super spiritual word is? It's time. There's nothing super spiritual about this. There's nothing secretive about this. The, the, the way that we look more like Jesus is by consistently spending time with Jesus. It's one of the reasons that you're here this morning, isn't it? Because you love Jesus. That's one of the reasons that you got out of bed, made a decision, Maybe have young kids that you were able to stir early and made some decisions to be able to be here, to sit in these pews, to be connected to the life groups that you've just come from. Why? So that we could sing songs that fixed our focus upon Jesus that for this hour that we could, we could have the, uh, the, the things of this world to, to, to maybe silence because there's so much noise in our lives and so much distractions in our lives that, that we've come into the sanctuary to be able to gaze upon him through the songs that exalt him. That have been marinated in prayer for this very moment. The prayers of the people of God to fix our hearts and to fix our attention upon him. Even the preaching of the word of the Lord is, is to say first and foremost that we want to turn in our Bibles. Not, not, not first and foremost, here, here are four things that I uh, you know, four things that have happened to me as your pastor this last week that I want to give you some spiritual lessons from. No, it is the very opposite of this. It is it is to move away from me and move away from us and to say, speak. Speak, Lord Jesus, we are listening. So we, we submit our worldview, we submit our framework, we submit our experiences to the word and to the spirit and the songs that we sing and the prayers that we pray and the teaching and the preaching of the word. So, so that the, the number one goal is not for you to leave here this morning and say, whoa, that was, a, that was a really great worship service. No, we want you to leave this morning and say, that is a really great God that we serve. And he he is wholly different. And the claims that he has on my life and his character and his mercy, his forgiveness, his love, his holiness is unlike anything else that this world can offer. And once again, my eyes were turned to him in worship. That's our prayer That right now we like Moses are beholding him in his word. But it's not enough for us just to come in here and to worship him once a week. But we have to have T-I-M-E time with him in our own personal lives to grow to look more like him. And this requires us to do a little bit of spiritual inventory. What are ways that we're carving time out of our lives to be able to behold him in his word. To be able to behold him in prayer. And this is going to look different. I mean, this will be different for seasons of life in this very sanctuary here. But there's no other way to see it. We have to to frame our life in such a way that our mornings and our evenings, we punctuate our days by listening to him in his word, by spending time with him in prayer. And you can do that in a million different ways, but there's no way around this truth. We must spend time with him. We must make decisions that over time become holy habits that make us open to his word and his way. In my life, there are several things that are just helpful to me. And I hope you have those things. I have a Bible app. It's just a U version Bible app. It's been really helpful to me over the years. Early in the morning when I'm running, I'm able to listen to the word of God. This morning I was in 2 Samuel 1, 2 Samuel 2, and just listening to what David is going through as Saul. I mean, just being before the Lord. I've got this Bible app. It's not a Bible app. Excuse me, it's a prayer app. It's just simply called Echo, E-C-H-O. It is just a 21st century prayer journal is what it is. And maybe for you it's not as you walk in the morning or run in the morning, maybe it's you, you you've got that, that, that special recliner in your house, but we have to have places and we have to have plans and we have to over time cultivate a practice to where we are going to frame our days as we begin them and as we end them for our family, we're still in that season where we have three kids at home and, and so for years we've punctuated the evening with just devotional time as a family, and over the course of these months, we've been walking through this wonderful book by Dane Ortland that is just, a, it is a 21st century Spurgeon. Uh, you remember the mornings and evenings in the Psalms that, that many of you are familiar with that Spurgeon had. It's been just a devotional classic. It's just a 21st century uh, help for that as we walk through the Psalms. And last night, I think, uh, boys, uh, Daniel I think we were in Psalm 126 last night. Now listen, I'm not telling you this for you to go out and buy these resources or for you to perfectly try to emulate that because no, that, that's not the goal. The goal is, is for these types of specific things to, to spur the Holy Spirit to draw out that creative imagination in you and say, hey, what are the holy habits in my own life? What are ways that I'm framing those, those moments and the days that I'm turning my heart, I'm turning my mind back to him? What are ways that I can grow in gazing upon him? The older I've gotten, the less I want the radiance of the sun to affect me. I, I, can anybody else relate to this? When I was a teenager, even younger, without kids, going to the beach, I, I wanted to be I wanted to be in the sun. I wanted to have the sun to, to sort of, you know, to commune together. I'm getting older now. I get the biggest hat that I can possibly buy, and I put that on as I go to the beach. I, I don't want SPF 20. I want SPF 220 when I go to the beach now. I want the umbrellas. I want, I want when the sun looks down on me, I want the sun to have to squint when it sees how much is on me. I don't want to be burned. Can anybody else relate to that? So I I have the umbrellas. I have the hats. I have the protection from the radiance of the sun. And in your life and in my life, uh, that can be true for us when it comes to, to the exposure that we have to the sun for a variety of reasons. But the exposure that we have to the son of God, the exposure that we have to the son of God, Gives us something that's much more vital, 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 vital to us. It gives us the nutrients we need to walk with him. It gives us the path that we need that he is leading us and guiding us. And so my question to you is, is a very simple question. Are you gazing upon God in corporate worship? Well, the answer is yes, you're here this morning, praise God. Are you gazing upon him regularly in his word? Are you gazing upon him regularly in prayer? Are you shining brightly for Jesus? And as you do this, over time, you radiate his love and his compassion and his grace that shines through you and in you. Here's the secret, Jesus. Being with Jesus is the secret to becoming like Jesus. Alexander McLaren, the great Scottish pastor from the 19th century, he said it this way, and I think it's really helpful to hear. It is the gaze of love and trust that molds us. You've been trying, and maybe some of you can relate to this, you've been trying and trying and trying half your lifetime to cure faults, make yourselves better and stronger. Try this other plan. Let love draw you. Instead of duty driving you, let fellowship with Christ elevate you. Instead of seeking to struggle up the steps on hands and knees, live inside of your Lord and catch his spirit. One of the reasons that I'm standing before you as your pastor is that I have people in my life at very crucial times in my life that radiated the, the love of Jesus. I, I had public school teachers and coaches. that The first exposure that I had to the gospel wasn't through them asking me if I would die today, would I go to heaven or hell? It wasn't through them inviting me to church. But in elementary school and in middle school, there, there, was a, uh, there was a radiance of peace of love, of joy. And I realized over time that it was the love of Jesus in them. And God used their example. He used them spending time with Jesus to provoke in me a question. What do they have that I don't have? Why are they like that? And that was one of the ways that God drew me to his son and ultimately to my savior. So you gazing upon God, it makes a difference. It makes a difference in your workplace. It makes a difference with your coworkers. I'll call him Danny. He's one of my friends who years ago told me how he became a follower of Jesus. He, from a professional standpoint, had Got to the very top of the rung of his professional ladder and he was immensely successful. But in his own words, he was coming to the place where he had gained the world and he was losing his soul and he was losing his marriage. His marriage was on the rocks. It seemed as if everything around him was frustrating. There was just a bitterness that walked with him into the workplace. But he had a partner who he had worked with for years who he saw in his partner peace and he saw in his partner joy he saw in his partner love he saw in his partner something that he did not have one day they were on a business trip and they were traveling hours away to meet with a prospective client and it was in that moment he just sort of broke down my friend Danny's he was talking to his coworker and his fellow partner in the business and he said he said what is it that you have that I do not have the way Danny tells the story is as they pulled off an exit, and there at a gas station, his partner, his friend, his co-worker talked to him about his relationship with Jesus. And there, he, Danny, gave his heart to Christ. His fellow friend and coworker over the years had just radiated the the love of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, the peace of Jesus. So I just remind you of a truth that I think you know because it has made a difference in your heart. Each of you have a story like that of how someone's radiance, it drew your attention. It drew your attention to them, but ultimately it drew your attention to the God who shines through them. So I just remind you, your glow matters. Your glow matters. It matters because it glorifies God, but it matters also because it points people like a 13 year old David Eldridge to the source of the glow. It matters because it glorifies God, but it matters because it points your colleagues, it points your friends, it points your classmates, your family members to the source of the glow. So I remind you this morning turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Amen? Let us pray.